Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we're going to be talking about compliance and risk in a COVID world, not just risk for ourselves, but also for our businesses, and in particular, life sciences companies, and how best to prepare and protect ourselves in this new normal. It is my pleasure to welcome Steve Vinci to the show. Steve is a global compliance expert and president and CEO of Trestle Compliance, providing risk assessments, compliance programs, and software for biotech, pharmaceutical, and medtech innovators. Prior to forming Trestle, Steve split his private sector career between serving as in-house counsel and outsourced senior VP and VP chief compliance officer for several life science and healthcare companies, and also as a consultant, forming his own firms, as well as serving as a non-equity partner for a big four firm. Vinci is counseled to a U.S. House of Representatives Oversight Committee. He has over 25 years of experience in regulatory compliance matters, from government policy and enforcement to private sector business implementation considerations. Steve was an officer, U.S. Marine Corps, in which he received various citations, decorations, and a full scholarship to law school. He also served as a prosecutor and defense counsel, served in the office of the Secretary of Defense, and later was selected to serve as a counsel and professional staff member of the Government Operations Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. Steve has an A.B. degree from Columbia University, a J.D. from Southern Methodist University School of Law, an LLM in International and Comparative Law with Distinction from Georgetown University Law Center, and an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. He has been a guest lecturer at University of Chicago, Harvard, UC Berkeley, University of Miami School of Business, and INSAID. It is my pleasure to welcome Steve to the show. Tina, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for your invitation. My pleasure. And I'm really excited about our our conversation today. I am too. I, I, I am really looking forward to it. So you have such an amazing background and wonderful history that so many of our listeners are going to benefit from. Why don't we begin with you telling us a little bit about your background and how you landed on your current career path? Sure. Uh, Well, it'd be my pleasure. I'll try to keep it crisp and relevant. Uh, I'm the son of immigrants, uh, a Hungarian uh, physician and his young bride, who immigrated here in 56, and I'm the first born, the first uh, generation American. I was uh, sort of made in Europe, born in the US. Uh, and I share that because <laughs> I share that because I believe in what I do. Uh, the concept of culture is, is very, very important. And, and so I grew up uh, really bridging cultures. And my home culture was a Hungarian culture. Hungarian is my first language. Um, and then there was the outside sort of English American culture. And then as I grew up and now in compliance, 
you have different cultures between the the worlds of law, business, science, medicine, and government. And and what I do is build bridges between those cultures. And that's why I formed my current firm, uh, which I call Trestle Compliance. And a trestle is a support for a bridge. And it's uh, and and we provide strong, reliable, dependable support for our clients to to build bridges between these realms of law, business, science, medicine, and government. Uh, now, how did I get here? Well, I grew up in the Boston area and then uh, was recruited for rowing and wrestling at Columbia University in New York. And let me uh, divert just a little bit. I, I'm a conservative contrarian, and I don't mean that necessarily politically, but <laughs> in terms of uh, doing my homework um, and being very diligent uh, and getting facts. And I think that's very important in terms of preparation. But then a contrarian where I tend to sort of go in the opposite direction of conventional wisdom. And so uh, in college, uh, it was not conventional wisdom to, to join the Marines, which is what I did. I felt like uh, a big part of me uh, wanted to give back and, and serve my country in, in a very uh, serious way. I got to visit Hungary while it was still communist Hungary. And uh, that experience really changed my life. I had considered myself as a kid as Hungarian. Mm-hmm. But when I came back, I'm an American. And that really um, helps to f- you and the viewers sort of understand who I am. I, I probably would have been a, a long-haired hippie uh, rock and roller. Um, that's sort of my nature, sort of a rebel uh, at heart. But I became a straight-laced Marine and now compliance officer, you know, the exact opposite. But again, as, as a compliance officer, I, I take a contrarian kind of view where the expectation is, is uh, compliance people will be very conservative and tell you everything you can't do. And so people dread that. They, they, they look at compliance as a set of corporate handcuffs, whereas I try to make it into a, a business enabler, uh, something that unleashes the energy and power of effective salespeople by knowing where their risks are, then being able to navigate around them with confidence. And so it's a very contrarian kind of approach to compliance that I have found to be very successful. Uh, and, and in getting there, I. I first, um, again, joined the Marines out of college, I was an artillery officer, and then was accepted uh, to law school on a scholarship, was one of just uh, literally, I think, three or four people that year selected out of the Marines, and went to SMU, um, and then uh, became a prosecutor, defense counsel, and was sent up to Washington at the Office of Secretary of Defense, and then was recommended to a congressional committee, in the meantime, went to Georgetown law school for an LLM in international law, uh, which was a, has always been a passion of mine. And, and then I got into the private sector. I decided the Marine Corps is never my, my career goal. It was something I wanted to do, but I always joked that I would have been a, a lifer, as they say, had I been independently wealthy and, and never wanted a family. Uh, and of course, I wasn't independently wealthy and I did want a family. So I had to get out there and work and make some money. And and so I did. And, and my very first job was as a VP chief compliance officer for the uh, medical billing company in Atlanta called Metaphys uh, that had gotten into trouble and had gotten a subpoena. And, and so my career in compliance began. Uh, and it was just a coincidence of timing that I got into it just as it really started over these past 25 years. And so that was in 1995. And I remember my very first meeting being introduced to, to the senior staff. It was in August, the summer 
day they were talking about their golf games, barbecues and boating and everyone was happy and cheery. And, and the president uh, said, I'd like to introduce to you uh, folks, our first and new uh, chief compliance officer, Mr. Steve Vincy. There's a hush, a silence, grim faces, folded arms. You could hear a pin drop. And, and that was the end pretty much of all conversation. <laughs> and I went home and uh, holy cow, what did I get myself into? There's, you know, I'm a people person. I, I, I you know, and these people definitely uh, don't want to be around me as a compliance officer. There's got to be something I can do to change that dynamic. And so that thus began my effort to, again, make compliance business friendly, which uh, is not easy. I, you know, you can overdo it. I've seen examples of that. I've learned the hard way too, but uh, and then from there, I um, started my own firm. I've, I've, I've uh, had three different companies and have been recruited sort of in a house and then stayed uh, not in the outhouse, but <laughs> outhouse. <laughs> uh, but in any event, I got into life sciences in 2001 when this company called Tap Pharmaceuticals in Chicago, a recruiter, mm-hmm. and said, Steve, um, uh, you've been referred to us by some folks in Washington and, and elsewhere, uh, PwC and others, and said this client of ours uh, should look look into you, hiring you as a compliance officer. And I said, well, I appreciate it, but I've been there, done that. I'm a consultant now. I'm happy to be a consultant for them. But and they said, well, uh, just bear with us. Why don't you just fly up here and meet with the folks and and then you know keep an open mind. I said, okay, well, we'll see. But I'm putting you on notice. I'm really not interested and. And so I did. And then I realized, hey, this this may be the very next wave of compliance enforcement. And this is a really big case. I didn't fully appreciate. I'd never heard of TEP before. And so thus began my life science pharmaceutical compliance career. My hunch was correct, as it turned out. And um, I took the job, uh, despite a warning from who was then a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Jim Sheehan, who's assistant U.S. attorney out of Philly, who was jetting around speaking left and right at conferences. And that's how we got to know each other. And uh, he said, he's a, a, a toothy, grinned Irishman, uh, always says a smile. Uh, but he got very grim. And, and we ran into each other at the uh, Hilton Hotel in Washington right before I was going to take the job. This was September, right before 9-11. And... Uh, he said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm, I'm taking this job. He goes, you don't understand, Steve. You're a good guy, but no one person can change a whole company. And this is a really bad company. I said, so you're proving my point, Jim. There's no place to go but up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so uh, he he sort of scratched his head. And I said, so, um, you know, this is the baddest of the bad. I'm going to be the solution uh, and I'm going to help bring the changes around. They're changing the whole crew. They're very bright folks. Uh, and I've met with them. I'm confident that they they have the incentives, namely uh, the corporate integrity agreement that you helped impose on them. And so I'm just going to be part of the solution. And so sure enough, that that really did occur. Um, I'm very proud to say. And, and from there, um, I joined Deloitte as a, a co-national leader on their life sciences team and worked with them. Um, all the major companies you can think of around the world. And then from Deloitte was recruited again in-house to Warner Chilcott that was under mm-hmm. federal criminal investigation and helped them put together a, a plan to allow for an acquisition with Allergan. Uh, and that went very well. And then I uh, became a uh, 
partner at a firm, boutique firm, opened their Boston office. And then it became clear to me, you know what? I'm working night and day. I might as well work for myself. And that's when I started Trestle four years ago. And, and we've been uh, growing at an average clip of 25 to 30% a year. And then last year, ironically, was our very best year uh, with the growth of 55% uh, over the year before. So we've expanded tremendously. We're about 10, 11 folks have a, a practice um, uh, with companies in the UK and the US. Uh, and we focus exclusively on life science, co commercial compliance. And that, those are the companies we work with. So that's a lot. I, and I appreciate your patience. <laughs> well, I mean, amazing history, amazing background. And I'm just so excited about diving into our conversation today. And I, I may just have to have you back on the show because there's no way that we're going to cover it all in the next 45 to 50 minutes, but I um, would love to jump right in. And, you know, obviously your sweet spot is compliance. You work a lot with life sciences companies that you, as you mentioned, your history with them started about 20 years ago or so, but I would imagine that our conversation is really going to be applicable to folks that are outside of the life sciences space, which you and I play a lot in eye on the IP side, but I would love to start our conversation by sort of level setting a bit, you mentioned that your business has been what was the best ever this past year. Would, would you say that a lot of that maybe had to do with the with the world circumstances we found ourselves in with COVID? Yes, yes, indeed. And I, I'd like to think it's not because people were glad they weren't meeting with me face to face. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking aside. Um, it's a, it's a, it surprised me. Uh, I was very flattered, frankly, because uh, as you and I shared earlier, uh, I am a COVID survivor and was hospitalized with a very serious case, and and didn't know if I'd. The doctors told me they didn't know if I would make it. Um, it was really a life changing event, and and I had clients that waited for me uh, to get out of the hospital. They could have gone elsewhere. Uh, the, we had given a proposal to this one uh, client, a, um, uh, a clinical lab, a medical device uh, company out in California, and they were referred to us by uh, another client. And then my current clients, um, one of the best things I did, because I, I tried to follow the golden rule. And the last thing that I want is not to know what's going on with someone, especially if I'm paying them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I really try to keep my clients informed no matter what. And, and so this was a real test. And, and I, I let them know and it, that I would be out of pocket um, and, and uh, I had COVID and I was in the hospital and would hope to you know, keep them informed. And so uh, A, they really appreciated that they were, uh, and B, one of the nicest uh, surprises was a real human side to, to everyone. You know, we can all get jaded in this life and in this world, particularly in the business and legal world. But it really showed a side of folks uh, from CEOs to general counsels to, to everyone I worked with, sales folks, who really um, showed a real human kindness and sent flowers and, and contacted my wife and, and offered their help um, you know, to, to help her as I was, you know, frankly, struggling to survive. And mm -hmm. it was a, a really, quite energizing. And it, um, it transformed me in a way that reinforced a lot of the things that I was raised with um, and that I knew and was trained as a Marine, but it, it gave me a new kind of uh, energy that I think people felt. I'm, I'm, I'm really big into 
connecting with people through through their senses and feelings and and feeling the energy and passion. You know, um, Michael Jackson used to say, you need to feel the music. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to feel the passion when it comes to advice. Uh, people need to really feel like, you know, this guy really believes in what he's saying. And, and they then re- he's really looking out for my best interests. And that's what I try to convey. And I think you know, through Zoom, ironically, and through my commitment, even in the darkest hours to my clients, they really felt that commitment from me. And it it, it, it was um, communicated uh, and through referrals. And, and um, you know, I, I'm, again, very flattered by that. It uh, And so it was, uh, you know, I feel guilty, too, because so many people, sadly, um, haven't made it through COVID or have had you know very tragic circumstances or have been unemployed and really struggling economically. Uh, so, you know, part of me really wants to do what I can on a, on a social level to try to, and that's one reason I'm doing these podcasts, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, I decided to write a book and to, to share what I felt got me through and what gets others through tough times. And so, uh, you know, it was a really, uh, transformative event for me, in, 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 as it turns out, in a very positive, positive way. Well, and obviously, we're so happy for you and your family that you fully recovered from COVID. I'm sure that it was incredibly scary, and your generosity is so appreciated. I, I can't wait to see your book and have a chance to talk to you about it. And I'm sure that some of the things that you're going to be covering are are what we're going to discuss today during our time together. You know, COVID obviously transformed people, transformed society globally, continues to transform as we continue to push through what has been an incredibly trying 15 plus months globally and continues to be very trying as different countries grapple with COVID variants. Um, and, and sort of looking at that at, through the lens of business and your sweet spot with respect to life science companies and looking at how companies survived over the last 15 plus months, you know, looking at, for example, what we call the Zoomified workplace and just companies trying to deal with whether they're life sciences companies or, or any type of company dealing with the increased privacy and data concerns and risks posed by the way that our way of doing business and the way that we take care of our own and our family's personal health, watching all of those evolve amidst a pandemic. Why do you think it's really important for businesses now more than ever to look at compliance differently. Obviously, they're the life sciences companies that have their own unique challenges, but against the backdrop of how much COVID has impacted everybody, why is it important for businesses, especially knowing how dependent we are on things like Zoom and telehealth appointments? Why is it so important for us to really refresh the way we look at compliance today? Great question, Tina. And I think there there are two sides to answering this question. There's a technical one, and then there's more of a, a sort of common sense one. The technical one relates to that as a legal matter, 
as risks change, it's imperative that companies A, recognize them and then B, take them into account. Uh, that we being so dependent on technology and information transfer through this technology makes us all more vulnerable as individuals and as businesses. And the commercial teams now can't meet with people. And now hopefully that'll start opening up. And I've written an article that relates to that. But, but in terms of right here and now and over the past 15 months, basically uh, commercial activities have been dependent entirely on Zoom or other social media. So folks that would do you harm, and there are folks like that, and that's very sad, but it's true, who would, as we've seen, who would hack into systems to steal information to, uh, uh, with the ransomware to, uh, to hold you hostage until you pay uh, enormous sums of money. Uh, these are real, real risks that businesses need to take into account. And as life science companies, where you deal with very sensitive information, you really need to reassess what those risks are. And again, this is the common sense side. Uh, and let me, uh, the biggest, uh, the probably easiest analogy, at least for me, is that if you're wanting to get on a health program, a fitness program, before you do that, the smartest thing to do is sort of take, take a sense of a head to toe physical, where are you now? Mm-hmm. You know, just really be honest with yourself and, and get a good, um, um, trusted, qualified professional to do that assessment for you who has objectivity. You may be biased and, and uh, there are all kinds of amazing works uh, that talk about uh, the, the bias of underestimating or overestimating uh, one's own risks. But get an independent person to assess your health and then see where you are and then develop a plan to uh, some real goals to address what those risks are in terms of your health to improve. And then the third step is perhaps the hardest one, execution. You got to execute and execute and keep uh, working at it uh, and then continually improve and adjust and measure and and you'll see the results if you do all of those things. Now with with these COVID circumstances and the added um, privacy risk. And if people don't believe it, all they need to see is the incredible amounts of draft and proposed legislation, both federally here in the U.S. and among different states and around the world, in Europe especially, it's been the leader in this area, on all privacy and data security, whether it's in uh, uh, election hacking and national security issues uh, or financial issues, uh, the transmission of information through electronic media uh, is at the heart of how we do business now. So we have to adjust uh, and we have to take that into account. And the smartest thing anyone can do is to recognize these changed circumstances, these changed risks and conditions, take them into account, develop a plan of action, and then execute against it. And there are all kinds of benefits that that derive from that. But I'll, I'll pause here now and because I, th- I think I've answered your question. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's a great answer. And, you know, it just leads me to what I think is a natural follow-up question, which is, you know, obviously things have changed completely in many ways over the last 15 months. And not that these risks didn't exist before, but I've also, and I've also spoken to specialists in the cyber security arena over the past several years that I've been doing this podcast 
And as you mentioned, you know, a couple of minutes ago, people unfortunately take crises like a global pandemic as an opportunity to take advantage of people. And, you know, cybersecurity is, is no exception. And so in the area of compliance, you know, now that we've been sort of living through this, this, this global pandemic for the past 15 months, do you think that people's view of compliance has evolved over the past 15 months? Do you think that people are taking more of a proactive approach these days to compliance? Or do you think that people by and large still wait for the proverbial, you know, other shoe to drop and have more of a reactive approach rather than proactive? Again, a great question. I think a lot depends on how we define people, uh, you know, what people, uh, I, and I think in our world, uh, the people that really matter are uh, CEOs, boards of directors, uh, general counsels, and sales leaders, uh, commercial operation leaders. I think these people, uh, there are at least two buckets, uh, what I refer to as sort of the enlightened leaders who are proactive, uh, what, what's interesting to me when it comes to commercial compliance and life sciences, the very uh, specific area that I focus on, over the past 20 years, there, uh, not to be too graphic, but there are several corporate carcasses out there mm-hmm. as evidence of, of misdeeds that the government has, has caught uh, and billions of dollars of settlements. Now, uh, uh, having supported companies that have gone through the, those experiences, having been a uh, what's called an IRO, independent review organization for companies under a corporate integrity agreement, having been an advisor for people on how to prepare for that, and having been a compliance officer implementing one, uh, I understand that not all companies agree with the outcome and, and have only done it begrudgingly because the alternative fighting in court was, was a worse alternative. So many companies uh, agree to the settlement without admitting any wrongdoing. In fact, I have mm-hmm. a current client that situation. But all that said is that I think more and more uh, CEOs and commercial uh, folks are on the enlightened group. They they do not want to go through what they've seen their past superiors go through in earlier years, earlier generation even, and that now the, the, non, the new young generation of leaders, I think, gets it and wants to be proactive. And in fact, I've been getting calls from the business people first, uh, which is a, a totally different turn of events from 20 years ago. The ironic thing now is that in the very unique space of biotech, where you have what's referred to as specialty pharmacy companies that, that are focused on rare diseases, orphan drugs, uh, that are, for the most part of their existence have been R&D companies. Most of them are founded by um, PhD, MD scientists who are passionate about two things, the science and financing their company to get that science approved, but have little to no experience with commercial operations or commercial compliance. And and their team of R&D scientists and chief medical officers, chief scientists, frankly, now are where the commercial people were 20 years ago. They're the toughest audience to convince that compliance is better done sooner rather than later. And, and so you have this, this interesting dynamic, this change is sort of evolutionary change 
where uh, the commercial folks and the business folks and the legal folks tend to get it, but the scientists um, uh, are, st are still a little bit kicking and screaming, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, but they're very intelligent. And so I think if you win their respect, and it's one of the things I learned with my dad as a physician and his colleagues, you get a very small window to do that. <laughs> and you better make the most of it because once it closes, you can forget about it. You know, doctors, scientists, are very bright because they've, they're first of all blessed usually uh, with incredible uh, skills and intelligence and have applied them and done exceptionally well in school. And they've relied only on one person themselves. Um, uh, and so it takes for the most part, um, someone who, to really impress them with something that they're not familiar with, that makes logical sense to them, that's backed up, it's credible. And then they go, aha, okay, all right, I'll listen. And that's your window. That's where you can make a difference. And so that's where I see it going, uh, where, uh, again, there's a, there are all kinds of uh, new companies growing um, almost every day now with different opportunities to address rare diseases that are being driven by scientists. And so uh, it's a challenge uh, to get them to agree to invest because it's not inexpensive to build a compliance program. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's about timing. So once the commercial folks and, and uh, folks that are uh, the legal folks that are familiar with uh, the, the landscape and the history of compliance are in there, it's generally uh, a smooth path. Uh, but before that, it, it may take some convincing and, and that's okay. Um, I enjoy it. Well, you know, you've, you've made and raised some really good points and we're going to, I'm sure, touch on some of these as we start our second segment shortly. It's hard to believe that the first um, part of our time together is almost up. I do want to try to sneak in one more question before we wind things down. And that is in the context of risk assessments, both for our personal health and our, that of our loved ones, as well as our businesses, what would you say are the three most important things businesses should be doing right now to guard themselves against future risk? Well, the, the first is to conduct a risk assessment, is mm -hmm. to understand that it doesn't have to be costly, it doesn't have to be time-consuming, but it, it can be incredibly expensive if you don't do it. And why is that? It's because whether it's with our own human health, our own um, fitness, our own health, we can't always be objective. And if we're honest with ourselves, we really, if we're serious about being the best that we can be, and, and I would think that's what all of these leaders would want to be, is to be as protected and as effective as possible in this environment, uh, understanding that this environment has changed tremendously, that there's a unique combination of risks that's arising that is unique for each business, depending on the product, the disease state, where it is as a business, how it's financed, uh, what point in their evolutionary state they are between the R&D phase and, and then going commercial, and recognizing that no matter how intelligent people are, there's only so much they can know, that it really takes a team, a team of bright, smart, aligned people. So the first step, take an assessment of your corporate health in terms of compliance risk so that you know what you don't know, number one. Number two, once you get those results, develop a, a sensible 
action plan to scale up to address those risks. You don't have to do it all at once. In the old days, 20 years ago or so, a compliance program was a very cumbersome, very expensive thing. Why? Because people waited too long. Uh, the, the worst thing that I did and that I advise people relative to COVID is don't do what I did. I was sort of the tough guy, the tough Marine, I'll gut it out. I waited too long and it progressed too far until it was a pretty serious case. That was dumb. Don't do that when it comes to your business. Uh, the sooner you act, it's uh, the sooner you nip things in the bud. So develop an action plan. And then number three is with all action plans, the most important thing is to execute against it. You know, follow the plan. And then as you follow it, as with all good plans, make sure that you measure the results and then continue to improve upon those results. So uh, again, take the assessment, know where you are as a baseline so you can measure against it. Once you have that assessment, uh, develop an implementation plan that scales up uh, against those risks uh, that's commensurate with your business. And number three, execute it against that plan. Steve, wonderful advice. I've really enjoyed our first set of time together, and I would love for you to share any final thoughts you might have before we transition to our second segment. And um, if you could let our listeners know where they can find you, that would be terrific as well. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Tina. This first segment, as you have said, has flown by. Uh, Time flies when you're having fun. It's certainly (laughs) fun to be speaking with you. Um, and to your audience. Uh, People can find me uh, at my website, which is www.tresselcompliance.com. And also on my LinkedIn page, uh, Steve Vinci uh, at LinkedIn. Vinci spelled V-I-N-C as in Charlie, Z as in Zulu, E as in Echo. And my email is svinci at trestlecompliance.com. So happy to speak to to anyone uh, if I can help them whether it's about compliance or even on a personal level relative to COVID. I've spoken to many people, um, but fortunately, it sounds like our country and the world is starting to get its arms around this and and we're making some great progress. So in any event, thank you for that opportunity, Tina, to share how people can, can get in touch with me. Well, and I really look forward to the second part of our discussion. Very good. So do I. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Steve Vinci, and we hope that you will join us next week for part two of our conversation. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.